And welcome once again, marketing planning students. Hopefully you can relate the lyrics and title of that classic James Brown song to our topic of pricing strategy. You got it. You have to pay the cost to be the boss. And by being the boss, we mean control. And the cost is the price. And there we have the logic of the price strategy element within the marketing mix. It gives us the ability to generate revenue or money by establishing a cost on the product for the customer. And through the pricing mechanism, we are able to maintain control, which is why sometimes the top accounting official within organizations is called the controller. So we pay the cost to be the boss. Let's get started. As you know, these episodes are lectures as verbal narratives, not to be listened to in isolation, but to be aligned with your visual narrative of the textbook and slides, and also importantly, to be aligned with your study narrative in the exam pools, as I am hoping you're preparing for a successful final exam. We come to the pricing strategy element of the marketing mix, and as I've explained at the beginning of the course, I try to present the concepts in the way they are used in the real world, from my own corporate experience, as well as from interacting with others, and there is a difference in the way that marketing education presents the marketing mix and marketing practitioners actually apply the marketing mix. In marketing education, they describe the marketing mix based on the priority of importance. And product is the most important and price is the second most important. So typically, price follows product. By contrast, in the real world, you cannot determine the price until you have decided on the other three marketing mix elements. Because the other three marketing mix elements of product, place, and promotion incur cost, and those costs have to be factored into price before you can execute a pricing strategy. And for that reason, I leave price as the final marketing mix element, and it is indeed our final chapter of the course. So in chapter seven, we are looking at the slide and moving into price strategy, and we begin to see the unique aspects of pricing. I've already mentioned it's how we get paid because we establish a cost and the customers pay it and allow us, if we're successful, to be the boss. So pricing directly produces revenues and the other marketing functions require investments of money, time, and effort, or they incur costs. And that's the aspect of pricing that is most strategic. We recognize that. It is how we get paid. Most pricing decisions can also be implemented quickly, and it can have an effect on consumers' behavior. But the drawback is it's often very difficult to reverse those pricing decisions. And when you do, it, cre it, it causes you to lose integrity 
with consumers. So it's usually a common phrase that's used in marketing that when you have to result to price as your primary strategy, you really don't have a strategy because anybody, a five-year-old child can say, cut the price and you'll sell more, raise the price and it will be more prestigious. The question is, are your other three marketing mix elements strategically positioned so that you generate value without having to manipulate price? When companies have to resort to price as their primary means of gaining customers, they do not have a strategy. But we want our price to reinforce and complement the other elements. And if, in fact, for strategic purposes, a price cut or raising price to move into a high prestige uh, segment of the market is warranted, we can do so. But we should not rely exclusively or primarily on price. We move now into a definition of two types of pricing strategies, the fixed and the dynamic pricing. Oftentimes, the particular industry you're in and the product you're selling will, will determine what the norm is. More than likely, a fixed pricing strategy will be in effect, and customers in the target segment pay the price that's uh, set. Dynamic pricing oftentimes occurs in business environments where whatever you might have set, there's a reciprocity, a negotiation process, and so the pricing is dynamic. There's also dynamic pricing when it comes to certain auctions, even at the consumer level on eBay. And there's also dynamic pricing in uh, particular high demand uh, situa situations like pharmaceuticals um, and other uh, types of products uh, such as furniture or even jewelry, where the demand fluctuates in such a way <clears throat> that it's not that the company's relying on price to establish value, but the economics in the market cause pricing in that entire industry to be dynamic or change. Value is ultimately what we use the price strategy to reflect. And the value should have been created from the product element, the distribution and how it's delivered, as well as the image that's conveyed through promotion communication. And then pricing merely reflects the value that has been developed with the other three marketing mix elements and price reflects that value in a monetary form. So value is achieved by satisfying customers. And here we're once again back to research. There's no way of getting around researching to get to know the target audience of your uh, product. And in this case, it's their perspectives on price, on how much they feel is fair value uh, to pay. I've mentioned to you many times that in my consulting, I used to do a great deal. I don't do as much anymore, one or two clients, but in my consulting, I would always ask one question. Well, actually two questions, but one that's relevant here. The first one was, show me your marketing research. And if there was no marketing research done, then they were not doing marketing. You cannot do marketing without marketing research. You can do sales. You can 
do customer service, but you're not going to do strategic marketing without having some data to drive your decisions. And that data and information comes from research. And it is a process that's sophisticated and fairly standardized. But if you're not doing it, it does not mean your business won't be doing well. It just means you will not have the benefit of marketing when your business is not doing well because you won't have that marketing research data. The other question I used to ask that is not relevant to price is what is your training program? Because I found that the biggest drawback for most of the smaller clients I used to consult with was either they're making decisions without data or they're hiring people and not training them. In the first, they're limiting their information capital, or as we call intelligence capital. In the second, they're limiting their human capital because hiring an employee and not training them is not getting a return on your investment. And you'd be surprised, as many of you well know from places you've worked, how reluctant employers are to offer training. So that training aspect will set aside, but I wanted to at least complete the statement on the two questions I would ask in consulting. As we see them on the value slide, the first question is, show me your research. If you don't have research, you're not doing marketing. The second thing that value addresses is how the product is communicated. How is the product, and we you know, in marketing, when we say product, we mean good or service. I sometimes will say product or service, but product is a category that includes goods and services. You should know that. And so the question is, how is the product value communicated? And if the product value in the other three marketing mix elements has been communicated as a prestigious product, and then the price is lower than the average prices charged for even um, um, mediocre products, then the prestige value will not come across. Research has shown that. On the other hand, if the other three marketing mix elements have conveyed a value of savings and a discount and affordability, and then the price is higher than average, then again, the communication is conflicted and price strategy has not been affected. So that's what the second bullet point is addressing. And we also want to make sure we know that customers' perceptions of value and price sensitivity uh, can be used to deal with imbalances in the company of supply and demand. We know we always have price as a lever to pull that always works, but we want to save it until we need it. So for instance, if in fact a company at the end of a particular period has more inventory than they expected, and they've got new shipments coming in, say, for springware, and it's winter. Then you use price to affect supply and demand, to deplete the inventory on hand so that the new season of merchandise coming in can be stored in the limited space of your warehouse. And there are other examples. For instance, many of us have experienced um, airline travel, or any types of uh, public transit, as well as venues for entertainment, adjusting the price when the seats are empty. So it can be used, price strategy can be used 
to rectify imbalances of supply and demand. We're looking at in strategy at the marketing planning level, the balancing of benefits of price and the total price that we will be using as the indicator of value for our marketing mix strategy. You see in your slide 7.5, the total benefits are listed on the left, the features of the product, the quality of the product, the service, availability, the performance, personal satisfaction. They don't have image there, but we could add image. And you would see on the left are all of the other three marketing mix elements. And then on the right, we see the price element and we make sure we account for the purchase price, also any shipping and installation that's added, the training and repair and upkeep that might be necessary to achieve the value of benefits on the left, any financing, time and effort of shopping, which is a very can be a very depleting process, uh, then we want to account for that in our price, any pricing of accessories, warranties, guarantees, disposal and eco-sustainability aspects have to be all accounted for by those numeric digits of price. And this is what we talk about at the planning level. It's not about putting a monetary value on a product. It's thinking through the strategic implications of all of the things price has to account for to deliver and convey value. And once you do that, the uh, establishing a monetary amount is the easiest aspect, but the total price approach requires strategic planning. We now are going to spend a little bit more time talking about this relationship between price and supply and demand. I talked about it can be used as a lever uh, for uh, inventory or uh, for a lack of demand, empty seats, empty rooms in hotels. Speaking of which, I promise you, you will be getting some of the best hotel deals that we've ever seen when the hotels open back up after the pandemic. There will be rock bottom prices, I promise you, because dealing with inventory. We've mentioned that even though on a situational level, it's important, it's good to use price for the supply and demand, that overall, you should not have price as your primary strategic lever. That means that you really don't have a strategy. So it's okay in those supply and demand situations not to be used as uh, your only uh, strategic method for conveying and delivering value. And now we get to the mechanisms that operate within price to make it useful, but not to be used as the primary vehicle. Those mechanisms that connect price with demand are called elasticity. And so price elasticity, some authors call it demand elasticity. It doesn't matter. It functions the same way. There are certain products that are relatively elastic. There are other products that are relatively inelastic. Healthcare uh, tends to be in that category, um, meaning that the value is going to be there even at higher prices. Price goes up. Your demand for that product or service will not go down. There are other products like gasoline. I laugh. Uh, it's such an elastic product that 
there can be a gas station on one side of the street, literally 50 feet away from another gas station. One gas station can have a price per gallon just one penny, one penny lower. And cars will line up just because of a one penny difference, not even realizing that they're using the one penny difference in the gas that they're expending waiting for a pump. But price elasticity with elastic products like gasoline, it just functions that way, connecting price and demand. Elasticity works both ways. Of course, we can increase demand by lowering price, again, for a relatively elastic product. We can also decrease demand by raising the price. And you might ask, why would you want to decrease demand? De uh, decreased demand can sometimes be a favorable thing for conveying exclusivity for premium and prestige products. And so you may only want to produce, or if it's a service, you may only want to serve a small number of influential customers. And if that's all the capacity you have, you don't want the exclusivity of the value to be squandered. And in this case, you raise the price purposely, strategically, to lower demand and the increased price, typically, and it's, it's done uh, in a very precise calculation, the increased price allows the revenue to offset more uh, than the loss of customers at a lower price. So price elasticity can be used raising price to lower demand, lowering price to increase demand. And then there are also situations called unit elastic, where you just maintain the same relationship between price and demand so that your forecast models will not be muddied. I won't go into that here. I spent some time in forecasting. And basically what you're attempting to do in forecasting is look at how the value of the product will be projected into future time periods. But if the price is mucked around with and raised and lowered, then your forecast models are inconsistent. So oftentimes unit elastic situations are best for consistent analysis over time. We've already dealt with what's given to you in your slide 7-7 seven, seven, that talks about uh, elasticity for demand uh, going up and demand going down for both elastic and inelastic types of products. And we have already talked about the factors impacting elasticity on your slide 7-8. I will list some of these because you may find final exam questions that address these topics. If there's a relatively uh, small amount, elasticity is going to have a higher impact. Uh, if they're not aware uh, of substitutes or competing products, elasticity will have a bigger effect. If they're aware, of course, they uh, will switch uh, to those products. Uh, would incur costs or difficulties in switching sometimes. The training, uh, our habits uh, will make switching less likely even if the price goes up. I find myself in that trap with, with uh, my uh, cable TV choice. I'm used to the programming lineup, the schedule, the remote. And so as they raise price, I just don't want to switch and have to relearn those things. So that can affect what would naturally be 
an elastic relationship of raising price and taking choosing another service. But if training and habits are involved, it serves to deter that. And then again, uh, perceiving the price as fair and offering fair value, even if it's raised, I continue to be amazed. I know you don't find it strange, but to just utter the words $300 tennis shoe lets me know I'm in another generation. Yes, tennis shoes are selling and customers are glad to buy them at $200 and $300. So if it's perceived as fair value, no matter how high the price, then elasticity will not affect the consumer who feels they're, they're still getting a fair value. Even though some of that value is psychic and socially determined, if the consumer perceives they're, they're getting fair value, uh, elasticity will have less of an effect. I think we spent enough time on elasticity. Let's move into the main fundamental building blocks for setting price, and they are cost-based pricing versus value-based pricing. There's slide seven, nine. Cost-based pricing, you start with what's called the product cost. Product cost is also called the variable cost because the cost varies with the product produced or sometimes called varies with production. The typical product cost are material and labor in the traditional uh, setting in digital and other types of uh, settings like services. It will vary. In services, the main cost is people because people oftentimes provide the service. There are also many services that are automated, so it will be what we would call a fixed capital expense. And capital expense is technology, so that would be your main cost. In a digital environment, it would be technology, but also content. Content can be extremely expensive. And so content is the material in digital markets in the same way that uh, fabric or lumber or wool or leather would be the material in a material in a physical uh, product. I only give you those elaborations so that you understand the concepts apply to all of things that are marketed, but I will come back to the things that are more simple to explain in terms of the physical world to readdress cost-based pricing. So we see, we start with the product and its cost, and the product costs are variable costs, material and labor. We set a price that covers the cost because if we don't cover the cost, we're operating at a loss and a company that loses money and does not make a profit is what we call a not a going concern. It goes out of business. So we certainly have to plan to at least cover the cost and then there are strategic instances where we will uh, have windows where we will know that we're selling below cost because of certain external situations or decisions that we've made in terms of gaining market share. But we will always know the threshold and the uh, trend level for our where our price should be to cover the cost and make a profit. So. The price is intended to cover the cost. We then have to communicate the value to customers or they won't know that the price we've set actually allows them, after they pay the price, to derive even more value than they've paid. We have to communicate that to customers. We cannot assume that merely setting the price 
and having the product in the market that the customer will interpret it correctly. It is our job to communicate the value of the price after we set the price to cover the cost. That's cost-based pricing. Value-based pricing starts with the consumer a lot more. Cost-based pricing, we start with the product because we're basing the price on the cost of the product to cover that cost. Value-based pricing, we're basing the pricing on the value derived by the customer. And so we have to get back to research the customer to find out what they perceive as value and which features or amenities will lead the value perception to rise and which ones will cause the value perception to fall. After we research the customers, we find a way to make the product at the cost that the customer feels is reasonable. And so a lot of reverse engineering, a lot of modular and uh, contract work gets involved because ultimately we are charged in value-based pricing with producing the product at the price that the customer finds to be a value, a fair value proposition. A little bit more nimble uh, business is required to do value pricing uh, than cost pricing. Okay. I might go on to say that value pricing is more prominent for services and uh, and, and certain exclusive goods, whereas um, um, cost pricing is more prevalent in manufactured items and mass manufactured items. We see, see in your slide 710 a diagram that really explains what we've already talked about, that cost-based pricing starts with the product and its cost and prices to cover the cost and then communicates the value to customers. Value-based pricing starts with the value, so it starts with customers researching how they perceive value and then sets the price at the customer's threshold and then we have to produce the product at the cost that's necessary to make a profit while delivering a value-based price. Now we get to planning the pricing decisions. We know that the pricing decisions can be value-based, profit-driven, or proactive. And when we're planning pricing, marketers have to examine the objectives overall, as well as the objectives for the particular brand or product. External influences like regulations or other types of things that create a ceiling that we can't really go above. Internal influences like cost and other um, uh, um, investments that we've made that determine a floor. And between that, we establish a price. Now, we have to price to meet the firm's objectives, as we've already talked about. In business, we are going to be objective and not subjective, and that's what objectives are set to do, to make sure we are factual and focused. And the price strategy has to be consistent with the overall goals of the company, not just marketing, as well as the marketing mix and brand strategy. Different types of pricing objectives are given in your slide 713. Financial objectives, we know those very well because price is the mechanism that generates revenue and revenue minus cost results in profit. So it's very easy to set financial objectives of revenue, cost, or return on the investment. Then in addition to the monetary financial objectives, we should have some marketing objectives such as higher market share, increased customer satisfaction, increased customer patronage, increased customer views or clicks or likes, and other things that show that value is occurring at the price level 
not just financial, not just accruing financial benefits. And in this day and age of corporate social responsibility, price has to have a societal objective. There are factors like income inequality and um, unemployment and disadvantage. And those factors can impact the brand even by individuals who have high incomes who are who are employed and who are not disadvantaged, if they begin to believe that the brand is insensitive to those disenfranchised members of society, then they then will begin to see the brand as less valuable. So we have a societal objective, a philanthropic objective to do things uh, societally that may not be a direct benefit for our financial or even our customers in marketing but because it increases the likelihood that our pricing objectives that bring in the money are also complemented by societal objectives that give out money for worthy causes. 